Father God, once again, we just want to say thank you. Lord, we ask that you would be with us during this time. So many times we gather, so many times we sing, so many times we read your word. But I pray that it would never become old. I pray that it would never become boring. I pray that it would never become something that we don't value and we don't make it a priority in our life. God, I pray that what is done here will be pleasing to you today. I pray that that true worship would happen. Lord, not because we check off a list or we just do certain things, but God, because we are seeking you, because we seek your face, because we want to know you more. We want to worship you. We want to not only know you here on earth, but God, we want to dwell with you in eternity. Jesus, I pray that you would speak into our hearts today. Lord, we lift up Miss Linda to you. God, we just pray that you would bring healing and comfort to her this week. God, we pray for Miss Margaret's nephew. You know, the complications he's having with COVID. Lord, we lift him up. And God, we pray for Mr. Henry as he's going to have surgery this week. And God, that you would be with that situation. Lord, we've already prayed over those people in the first service, but God, we lift them up to you again. And Lord, I pray that every person in this room right now is saying a prayer for, specifically for them during this time. That you would hear our hearts and know that those are our brothers and sisters that we care about deeply. Father, in these moments, use your word to speak to us powerfully. Or not just something that we hear and we ponder, but God, something that it would, it would so weigh on our hearts that we would not have a choice, but Lord, we would have to respond to it. That we would have to allow it to shape and affect and change our lives. God, I pray that you would speak and work and move during this time. Lord, if you don't do it, it's useless. It's all for nothing. So God, I pray that you would be here in this place. That your words would be shared. That your word would be proclaimed. We love you. We ask all this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 15 through 17, Paul writes, You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true. Highlight true, that's important today. And to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. And today, truth is the topic of discussion. So a couple weeks ago, we talked about how the word is trustworthy. But it's very important today for us to understand that there is a difference between something being trustworthy, something being true, and then something being the truth. I will say that again. There's a difference between something being trustworthy, something being true, and something being the truth. And when we talk about God's word, it's very important for us as followers of Jesus Christ to understand that God's word is truth. Like it's not just true, 
but it's truth. It is the measuring rod upon which we have to, we are called to measure everything else in this world off of. So everything else that proves to be true has to be measured off of the measuring rod of God's word, which is truth. And I say that because you and I live in a day and time where information, where true facts are absolutely endless, right? I mean, there's just an unbelievable, unattainable amount of knowledge that's available to us today because of computers and things like Google. You can just Google something. You know, it's kind of funny. In the past 10 years, I've kind of got my parents, like they would ask a question about something. I'm like, I don't know, Google it. And so now instead of like asking, I've kind of conned my parents who are about 60 years old now into Googling stuff. And even they Google stuff. When they're looking for answers, they Google because there's just an endless amount of facts that's available to us, right? And to just kind of give you an idea, I'm pretty sure I've said this before, but I just want to say it again. You know, a few years back, they, they, they were talking. When I was coming up through school, you had to be really picky about your sources. Like, you had to go to the library and you had to research. Like, the, the internet was not necessarily this source of true information at the time. And Wikipedia was always considered an inaccurate source. And in the research realm of things, when you're still writing papers, Wikipedia is not a, a good source that you go to to find facts. But they were saying a few years back that Wikipedia was getting to the point where Wikipedia was more accurate than Britannica was. Because at any given moment, people can go and update Wikipedia with all kinds of information and all new things. And so even though there was wrong information on Wikipedia, it was technically more accurate because it was updated much faster. When you talk about something like Britannica, that has to go through all these channels and be approved and deemed as, yes, this is truth, this is accurate information, that by the time it came out, it was already outdated. We live in a day and time where we talk about truth and facts and, and all kinds of stuff, and you have people today who's telling you truth is relative, you know, like morality is relative. It's all based on circumstances and situations. And you get this group of people over here, and if they can decide on something, then that's truth for them. And guys, we serve a God. I want you to think about this. We serve a God who has proclaimed truth, who has given us the measuring rod upon which we will all be judged on. And we're going to talk about a lot of that stuff later on. Without truth... There is no right or wrong. Without God's word, there is no right or wrong. Everything is relative without it. But because it does exist, because God has given it to us, there is truth. There is right or wrong. There is a standard upon which every single one of us will be judged on whenever we stand before God one day. Without it, there would be no judgment. There would be no ability for us to be judged. And so as a follower of Jesus Christ, if you believe in eternal life, if you believe in standing before the Father one day, and being welcomed in as one of his followers or being turned away as someone who's not, his word is going to be the measuring rod upon which we are judged and welcomed in or sent away. That's huge. And so if you're sitting here this morning and you're struggling in your faith in Christ or you're struggling in whether or not you, know, you really accept God's word as truth, you're always going to struggle in your relationship with God. You're always going to struggle as to whether or not you are confident in your salvation. If you're confident in your ability to be able to share the message of Christ with someone else, you're always going to struggle. But if you can get to the point where you step out on faith and you say, okay, God, I don't understand it. 
I don't know because so many people say so many things, but God, I'm going to trust in you that this is truth and I'm going to live my life based off of this. Nothing's going to change until you get to that point. You got to get to that point. Proverbs chapter 30, verses 4 through 6. The author writes, Who but God goes up to heaven and comes back down? Who holds the wind in his fist? Who wraps the oceans in his cloak? Who has created the whole wide world? What is his name and his son's name? Tell me if you know. I just think this is a fascinating passage of scripture because this is the Old Testament and you have someone who's writing this proverb and he's talking about God and, and knowing God's name, but also knowing his son's name, realizing that God has a son and Jesus has not come yet, even though we have this proverb that's given to us. But there's an understanding that there is a God and you don't even know his name necessarily. Like The Hebrew people were given the word Yahweh, but the whole name of God that we read about in Scripture, we were not even able to know it or pronounce it. But knowing that he has a son, that his son's coming. Tell me if you know, verse 5, every word of God proves true. You're talking about someone who, who is a king, who, who's writing this proverb in this moment, and he's talking about God's word proving true. He is a shield to all who come to him for protection. For protection, do not add to his words, or he may rebuke you and expose you as a liar. And something that you can look at in history is that any time that people have prophesied or said something in the name of Jesus and it wasn't true, they've always been exposed, right? How many times have people predicted the end of the world? How many times have people predicted the second coming of Christ? And they just keep being exposed as liars, and then they'll change their minds and try it again. And it's like every time that people add to it or they do something that's not in this, they are exposed as liars. God's word is true. It's truth. Everything is supposed to be based off of it. This is why John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus responds in this conversation. He says, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. And this just happens to be the gospel that also refers to Jesus as the Word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was God. The Word was with God. And through the Word, all things were created. It refers to Jesus as the Word. And so the Word came in flesh. Jesus is the Word. The Word is truth. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You go back to 2 Timothy, our scripture we've been reading every week. And it says, you've been taught the Word of God since you were a young child. It's given you the wisdom to receive salvation through Jesus Christ. When you look at scripture, it's all connected. It all leads back to one another. We've talked about that. from the very first, it, it all connects to each other. Right? you got all those hyperlinks that's running around in God's Word leading you from one back to the other in all these different lines. So Jesus is the way, He is the truth, He is the life. The only way that you can have eternal life is to go through Jesus, who is the Word, the eternal Word of God, to have eternal life. This is why Jesus can make the statement, I am the way, the truth, and life. Everyone else in the world says, well, there's probably a God, but I believe there's more ways to God than just Jesus. No, no, no. Because if Jesus is the word and this is his word and it is truth and this is the thing upon which all people will be judged off of because without an absolute truth, there can be no way to judge anything or people in any way, then there's no heaven. And so in order to get to heaven, you got to go through Jesus Christ. 
He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. He is the only way to have eternal life. This is why Jesus can make that bold statement and it proved to be true because he is truth. His word is truth. It's really important for us to know that and understand it. And I know that a lot of times we probably just don't sit around and think about this stuff on a day-to-day basis because we're just trying to survive. Like we're trying to go to work, make it through without wanting to choke somebody that day, trying to keep our kids alive, you know, just doing the day-in and day-out routine. But understanding that God's word is truth and our desperate need to live by it is going to change our relationship with God forever. So point number one this morning Because it is truth, there are certain qualities that it has as truth. First quality is, point number one, the word is valuable. God's word is absolutely, infinitely valuable. You cannot place a value on it because it's so important. It's so necessary in our lives. And we need to acknowledge how valuable it is. Truth is valuable, right? Truth is valuable, not just in God's word. Let's just take it from a worldly perspective. How valuable is true information? Companies, million, billion dollar companies pay out crazy amounts of money every year for research and statistics and and all these studies that they do to find true information so that they can market their company and move it in ways that will be more productive. Truth is valuable. And I guarantee you everybody who was a part of Enron wished they would have known the truth. And everybody else who's been a part of a company or bought stock that collapsed the next day or people who was involved in the stock market crash in, in 1929, I bet they wished they had known the truth and what was coming. Truth is valuable. Information is extremely valuable. And so when you think about God's word and you say, okay, well, I wish I would have known what Google stock would be worth today or Facebook stock would be worth today or, Instagram, or you know, all this stuff that just started out, it's like, oh, that's all garbage. That's what kids play on in today. It's like billion dollar companies. I wish we would have known. You could have bought it for pennies on the dollar years ago and now it's worth, you can't afford it anymore. And if in a worldly sense of truth is important, let's talk about something that not only gives us worldly value, but also gives us eternal value, how much more valuable is God's word? How much more valuable is something that can benefit you in this life and benefit you in the next when all the other information we would love to have would just benefit you in this life and has no effect on the next? In Psalm chapter 19, verses 7 to 11, David writes this psalm. And it's amazing because, you know, we talked about Psalm 119 last week and how important it was, but a lot of the psalms are are written to worship the Lord. I mean, they are songs and poems to worship the Lord. A lot of them talk about God's word. This is another one. It says, The instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commandments of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. Reverence of the Lord is pure, lasting forever. The laws of the Lord are true. Each one is fair. They are more desirable than gold, even the finest gold. They are sweeter than honey, even honey dripping from the comb. They are a warning to your servant, a great reward for those who obey him. So let's put this thing into perspective. You know, everyone always talks about King Solomon being rich and wealthy and all this stuff and how he was just like so wise and so wealthy and all this stuff. 
Don't forget who set him up for success. David was the one who stored away all the timber and all the gold and all the silver and all the articles that was going to be needed for that temple to be built in the future. David was extremely wealthy. David had been extremely blessed by God. And in this moment, David is writing this Psalms, and I want you to look at what he's discovered. You're talking about a man who had infinite wealth, multiple wives, you know, basically anything that the average worldly person could go out there and say, I want rule, I want authority, I want to be famous. You know, he was a conqueror of war, he had won many battles, he had bunches of wives, all kinds of money, all this stuff. And he writes about God's word and he talks about how it's perfect, it's trustworthy, it's right, it's clear, it's pure, and it's true. Notice that he talks about it being trustworthy, but he also talks about it being true because there's a difference between the two. And he talks about God's word and because it has all of those qualities, therefore it is more desirable and valuable than gold, even the finest gold. And you're talking about a man who was storing away gold for his son to one day build the Lord's temple. He understood how valuable and amazing it was. And at the same time, he had access to God's word and to study. And he said, look, everything else in the world, it doesn't matter. God's word is more valuable than anything that you can invest in. Anything that you can have, anything that you want to place value in in this world, God's word is worth more because it's truth. It's true. It not only brings physical blessings in your life, it brings eternal blessings in your life. It is preparing you for the day that you are leading up to. And whether you say it or not, every one of us knows that we face the day where one day we are going to die or the Lord is going to come back and going to take us. We are going to stand before God in judgment one day. It's coming. Everything about life is in preparation leading us up to that point. God's word provides all that we need for that. Psalm 119, we'll go back to Psalm 119, verse 72. And the author writes, your instructions are more valuable to me than millions in gold and silver. Really simple, short verse. But here you have, and we don't know who wrote Psalm 119, but again, you have someone else who's sitting down and they're writing this and they're thinking about the world. It's like, there's nothing that compares and that's the difference between people who have really like given their hearts to Jesus Christ and are committed to him is that they have the realization of how important and how valuable it is. It's so precious you can't put a value on it. It's worth everything. It's one of the reasons why Jesus, when he's talking about the kingdom of God, and he's saying, look, the kingdom of God is so valuable. This is what it's like. It's like a man who discovers treasure buried in a field. And in in his haste, in his excitement, he covers it back up and he goes and he sells everything that he has. He sells it all so he can buy the field and have this treasure because it's worth more than everything else. And in the same way, it's like the merchant who goes out and he finds the pearl that he wants. He sells everything he has in order to get that pearl because it's worth more than everything else that he has. God's word is valuable. You have to believe that in your life in order to devote your life to it, to invest in it. Remember last week we said God's word's efficient. But it's not efficient if you don't use it efficiently. It's everything that you need it to be, but you have to use it. You have to devote your life to it in order for you to get the full use out of it. Point number two, 
The word is equipping. This is a word that we saw in 2 Timothy, that ver- that, that, those verses that we've been reading every week at the beginning of the sermon. The word of God equips you to do every good work that God has had planned for you from the very beginning. How many of you believe that God has something planned for you? God has called you to do something good. You need to raise your hand. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you need to raise your hand and say, I believe that God has called me to do something good. You got to believe that. If you don't believe it, what are we doing? From the youngest to the oldest, and I'm not just talking about, okay, well, I've already done something good, so my calling is done. No, even now, God has something good for you to do in the name of Jesus Christ right now. But the problem is, is that you have to be equipped in order to do it. You don't have what it takes. Let me be honest for a second. You don't. I don't have what it takes. You don't have what it takes. We do not have the natural ability to do the good works that God has called us to do. There are a lot of people in the world who are super talented. They have a lot of talents and abilities. A lot of people who's claimed that they've done a lot of the works that they've done in the name of Jesus Christ. And they can fool people because we have a hard time deciphering what's truth and what's not sometimes, don't we? We do. But I want to tell you this morning that God has called you to do something good. But he has not called you to do something good on your own. He's called you to do something good and he's called you to allow him to equip you to do it. You are never meant to do it on your own. And in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, Jesus tells his followers. He's talking about who the true disciples are. And he says, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. And on judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and perform many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's law. Now, I want you to think about that this morning. There are people out there. I mean, you, you, it's really sad. There, there's a church that I've been following ever since I've been saved. A huge fan of the church, huge fan of the music that they've put out over the past 20 years that I've been saved. And they're going through all kinds of scandals and stuff right now. They're all over the news. It's just a big, it's terrible. Very hurting to my heart to see that happening. There's all kinds of people who do stuff in the name of Jesus Christ. There's all kinds of people who do good works. There's all kinds of people who prophesy, who perform miracles, who heal, who cast out demons in the name of Jesus, but they don't belong to Jesus because they're not living according to the word of God. They're they're not obeying truth. And because they're not obeying truth, they don't belong to God. He says, get away from me, you who break God's law. So you can do stuff in the name of Jesus Christ underneath your own ability and you might have some success. You might be talented enough to look good in front of other people, but it's not going to last. People who do it on their own, they don't last. There are people inside of our church, there's, there's been times in my life where we do stuff and we do it on our own and before we know it, we're burnt out, we're tired, we're bitter because we don't feel like anybody else is helping us do it. We feel like it's taking too much of our time. We feel like it's doing this and doing that. And then all of a sudden we get to this point, it's like, I don't even enjoy this anymore. You know, I don't enjoy serving the Lord anymore. And then we have to have a reality check of saying, okay, well, like God did not call us to be bitter and angry and worn out. You with me today? 
That's not what God's called you to do. God's called you to do a good work for him. But you guys know this. Whenever you first got saved and you give your heart to Jesus Christ, were you bitter and worn out or were you happy and excited? Did you not have a breath of energy in your life that you'd never had before? And every time you feel God work and move in you, does it not rejuvenate and revitalize you? Like, like the psalmist said, like David said, it, it revives your soul. That's what God does. See, Satan wants you to think that you can do it on your own. He actually wants you to do it on your own because he knows if you do it on your own, you are going to get tired. You are going to get frustrated. You are going to get bitter. You're going to look around and you're going to look at everyone else who should be doing it, who should be helping, who's not doing what they should be doing and all this stuff. And you're going to be mad and frustrated. And that's Satan. Because God has called you to do something good, but God wants to equip you. God wants to be with you. He wants to help you do it. God never has wanted us to feel alone. God never has wanted us to feel like we're the only one working. You with me today? He, he has never wanted you to burn out. And this is why he says, I've called you to do a good work, but I want to equip you to do the good work, and I want to be with you. I want to help you in this. God wants to be a part of your life. He wants to be a part of the good works that he's called you to do. Actually, we're, we're supposed to be a part of him, but he wants to be with you on it. He's not calling you to do it on your own. In Micah chapter 4, verse 2, it says, People from many nations will come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of Jacob's God. There he will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For the Lord's teaching will go out from Zion, his word will go out from Jerusalem. Guys, it's so important for us to understand and see how God's word is equipping. It's always meant to, for us to receive it and for it to go out with us, to teach us, to remind us. You know, this is, this is why we said last week, when we talked about the, the big study that was done, those statistics that I gave you, and how even people who pray every single day, if they didn't read God's word, there was basically no difference in their life and their habits from people of the world. But for whatever reason, whenever you read God's word four more days a week, it has drastic impact on your daily habits and choices and how you live differently from the world. There's something about God's word teaching us and reminding us of all the things that we're supposed to do. It equips us. It trains us. It shows us truth. It shows us how we're supposed to be living. And God is not evil. God is fair. He's a good God. I mean, like, think about that. That's something you need to come to terms with before you leave here today is, is God is a good God. He's fair. He's absolutely fair. And he's not going to take you and force you to do anything that you don't want to do. He may call you to do something that you don't feel like you're equipped for or able to do, or maybe something that you're not crazy about doing, but he's not going to force you to He may call you to it, but he's not going to force you to do it. There are plenty of people who's called to ministry who's ran from it. Plenty of people who's called to do things that we run from all the time. And you have to realize in your life that God's fair. If you want to be in a relationship with God in this physical world, he is so fair, he'll give you a relationship with him in eternity. You can spend eternity in a relationship with him if you want to be in a relationship with him in this world. But in this world, if you don't want to have a relationship with him, if you don't want to live according to his word, that's okay. He's not going to force you to do it, but he's also not going to make you live with him for the rest of eternity. He'll let you be separate for him for the rest of eternity. 
The only problem is, is what that side of eternity holds for us. That you have to decide which one you would rather have. And to sit here and understand today, like I told you guys, I went to God because I didn't want to burn in hell. It wasn't because I woke up one day and said, I love Jesus. I think I'll follow him today. No, I was scared to go to hell. I didn't want to go to hell. I realized I had sin in my life and I didn't want to burn. I followed Jesus Christ. Today, I love Jesus. At first, I did it out of necessity. God is a good God. If you follow him, it may not sound like the greatest thing right now, but it proves to be true. Everything in it proves to be right. There's not a time in my life where I lived according to God's word that I didn't experience the blessing from living according to it. And there's not a time in my life where I didn't live according to it that I didn't experience the consequences from it. It's true. Absolutely true. Everything about it is true. Point number three, God's word is victorious. You need to know this. You need to understand this. This is so, so important for us to understand. When I first got saved, I remember a lot of times pastors and people saying, oh, we're fighting a a battle for a war that's already won. You ever heard that before? Fighting a battle for the war is already won. I don't hear a lot of people saying that anymore. Every Thursday, Pastor Timmy and I, we do a Bible study with Pastor Wes. He, he comes and does a Bible study with us, and that's just kind of one of our weekly routines that we try to make sure that we're, we're getting fed throughout the week and we staying grounded in our Bible study that we're not just constantly teaching, that we get fed. So we're, we're watching this video, and we're talking about some passages of Scripture, and the guy starts talking about how you know the battle <clears throat> is, uh, we're still fighting battles of a war that's already won, and how that don't always make sense. And he used this analogy of D-Day, the invasion of Normandy from World War II. And it's great because I remember talking about this in school. My original degree is in history. I was a history major. But whenever America decided to enter into World War II, the conundrum was how do we get our troops into mainland Europe because if we can just get them there, we know that we can win. Russia and Germany had already been killing each other. It was all, basically the United States knew that Russia was probably going to end up winning anyway. We just wanted to come in and mop up the mess and get all the spoils from it. That's history if you want to go back and look at the books. So we knew if we could just get our troops on mainland Europe, basically we could go in and win. It was done, but all we had to do was get them there. And so when Normandy came in and we, we decided we were going to invade Normandy, the casualty prediction rates were ridiculous. They were estimating that over 50% of our guys that we were going to send over there were going to be lost, that they were going to die, over 50%. And they said that's a low estimation. They were expecting more. And so on D-Day, when we invaded those five beaches, that 50-mile stretch of beaches on Normandy, by the end of the day, we had 100 and 56,000 troops that successfully made it in with just over 4,000 casualties. It was a huge victory for us that day. Absolutely amazing. And from that day on, we knew we were going to win. It wasn't even a question because Germany was so weak, everything on the European front. Actually, we were way more worried about Japan than we ever were about anything in Europe. We knew that the war was over. But the problem is, is you had this crazy guy named Hitler who was not going to admit defeat. And so we invaded in 1944 on June 6th. Does anybody remember when the war ended and Germany surrendered? May 8th, 
1945, almost a year later. The war was already over. We got our troops on the ground. We were running. We had already won the war, but the battles were still being fought. For almost a solid year, battles were still having to be fought because we had an enemy who refused to admit defeat. And we're fighting battles similar to that today. You are fighting battles in your life, spiritual battles in your life every single day of a war that's already won. Jesus Christ has already made the victory. You've already landed the troops. All you got to do is finish fighting the battles until eventually it's going to come to an end. But you've already won, but you still have to fight the battles. And see, the problem is, is that sometimes we fight battles and we don't do very well in them and we feel defeated like we're going to lose, like there's no hope, right? Anybody ever been like that? You fight those battles and you feel like you're losing and you feel like there's no hope. There were times that America went out and fought battles and we didn't do so well. But it didn't mean that we were going to lose. We just lost the battle. You with me today? There are times in your life where you're fighting battles, you're struggling through stuff. Maybe you're not victorious in this area, but, but over here you might be a little more victorious. And, and through that loss or through that loss that you have in that spiritual moment, you can learn from it and you can build on it and go to the next battle and be better and hopefully attribute to winning the war that's already won through Jesus Christ. God's word is victorious. We are still fighting our battles. You and I are still fighting our battles, but God's war is already won. His word's victorious. You want to know how to win? You want to know how to overcome? You want to know how to go and keep fighting those battles until it's time for you to stand before the Lord on judgment day, winning more than you've lost? Go to the word. It's victorious. It teaches you how to win. It teaches you how to overcome. God's word is going to help you overcome death, the grave, sin, oppression, eternity, everything that you need to overcome in this life, God's word can help you overcome. There's nothing that it limits you from. In Isaiah chapter 55, verses 10 to 11, it says, The rain and snow come down from the heavens and stay on the ground to water the earth. They cause the grain to grow, producing seed for the farmer and bread for the hungry. It is the same way with my word. I send it out and it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to, and it will prosper everywhere I send it. Let me tell you guys something. God's word is always profitable. It's always productive. There's never a time where it does not produce fruit. And let's just go back to Jeremiah. You talked about Jeremiah a few weeks ago. Jeremiah preached for how many years for the Lord and didn't have any converts except for his assistant that decided to join up with him. And the people of Israel still ended up going in captivity. Even after he preached God's word to them and told them what was going to happen, they still went into captivity. It did everything that it was supposed to do. It revealed truth the exact way that it was supposed to do. And it separated the people who believed in God and it separated the people who didn't. Just because people chose not to believe in it does not mean that it was affected. did not mean that it did not bear fruit. It proved true because God's word always proves true. Everything that Jeremiah said would happen if they didn't turn to God and believe in him, it happened exactly the way God said it was going to. It produced fruit. The question is, is whether or not you and I are going to be people who believe in God's word and trust in it and experience the blessings from the truth or the people who refuse it and experience the consequences of not trusting in truth. Luke chapter 1 verse 37 says, The word of God will never fail. 
don't know if you guys noticed, but I keep on jumping back and forth between Old Testament and New Testament. Old Testament, New Testament, Old Testament, New Testament, because I want you to understand everywhere in Scripture, God's Word consistently, constantly, over and over again, confirms God's Word. It's so important in our lives to realize that it's not just like this great idea or this nice suggestion that someone's trying to give you. It is a reaffirming teaching over and over again from Genesis to Revelation that God's word is truth and it works out exactly how God says it's going to. It will always produce fruit. It will never return null or void. You can't bounce that check. It pays every time. That's important for us to know as followers of Jesus Christ. And we have to decide what we want to invest our life in. You're sitting here every Sunday morning for the past several weeks, and we always end the same way. You have to decide whether or not you're going to believe it and you're going to have faith in it enough to step out and put your life in it, to invest your life in it. Because if you don't, you're never going to experience the benefit from it. God's word is efficient if we use it efficiently. If we don't use it efficiently, we're not going to experience the efficiency of it. Make sure I use it the proper way. How many of you want to bet on a sure thing? How many of you wish you had insider information to, to figure out what stocks or what cryptocurrency is going to be the next big thing that you can invest in and make thousands or millions of dollars off of like some people's done? Truth is valuable. And God's word is one of those things that, that you're looking at. And guys, we, we, you, you got to make a decision on it. You can't just expect one day to just wake up and say, I'm just going to start reading the Bible today because I just want to. You have to step out on faith and do something that doesn't necessarily sound so appealing. But I promise you, when you invest in it and you start seeing the returns of what it is that you've invested in, you're going to be like, hey, I kind of like this. Like a three-year-old kid doesn't look at a bar of gold and a cookie and say, I'd rather buy a bar of gold for 50 cents or I'd rather buy a cookie for 50 cents. They're probably going to go after a cookie because they don't know any better. Sometimes it hurts to make the right investment and say, oh, I could have a cookie rather than a bar of gold. Sometimes we're just so immature, we don't even realize what the better investment is. But as people, we have to sit down and say, okay, I'm going to invest my life in this. And it kind of hurts to do that sometimes. It hurts to take money from something and put it towards something else so you'll be better off in the future because you don't see the results immediately. But one day, hopefully, the idea is, is when that thing starts producing income regularly and you're benefiting from it, you'll look back and say, I'm so glad. I'm so glad that I went without then because this is great now. And God's Word is the exact same way. It's one of those things that... You, the time, just the, the mental capacity after you're exhausted and you come home from work or you've been screaming at kids all day or whatever it is that you got to do, that you're just miserable and you come home, just the understanding of, I just want to veg out. And not doing it and investing in God's word is not going to seem fun at first. But one day you're going to look 15, 5, 10, 15, 20 years down the road and you're going to look back and you're going to say, I'm so glad I did that. I'm so glad because you look at people who didn't do it and you see how their lives are and you look at people who did do it and you see how their lives are. There's a big difference between the two. You can't be afraid to invest. You can't be afraid to step out on faith and dive into God's word and make it a priority in your life. If you don't do it, you're never going to experience the blessings from it. And I'm not just talking about 
physical blessings. There are physical blessings that come with God's word, and, and they vary. You with me today? It doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get money or anything like that. There are physical blessings from God's word. But the more important thing is the spiritual blessings. And the older you get when you come closer and closer and closer to standing before Jesus Christ one day and realizing eternity is sooner than what I ever thought it'd be, the eternal blessings are way better than the physical blessings. But I have also experienced physical blessings from God's word too. But you've got to decide what you're willing to invest in. And we're not just talking about something that's true or trustworthy. We are talking about the truth. It is the thing that everything else is based off of. And you can live in a world today where they're saying it's relative. That, that it's, it's your decision. It's your choice. But when you stand before God one day, that's not going to carry. God's going to say, no, this is the truth. This is the measuring stick upon which all things are measured. All truth is measured, and all things that are false are revealed. It's his word. That's what it all hinges on. It revolves around it for all eternity. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Lord, thank you again for your word and what it should mean to us. And God, I pray that you would be with these people. Lord, that you would be with all of us. And help us to realize and understand how important your word is. Lord, I would rather them read your word than even come to church. And that's a hard thing to say because I know without them, our church wouldn't exist. And I'd be looking for a different job. But Lord, it is more beneficial for them to read your word and to know it than it is to even come to church. Even though church is valuable and I believe that it's important, the word is more important. I pray that you would help us to know it, to invest in it, to believe in it, and Lord, to use it as the measuring rod upon which we guide all things in our life on. We love you today, and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you, guys.